0: We've all heard the phrase, fight fire with fire. But how do you fight bias? Do you fight bias with bias? And how do you handle the very dangerous unconscious bias? Hello everyone, and welcome to the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman. And today we wrap up our series on diversity in the resilience industry by speaking with two of my co-founding members of the Resilience Think Tank, Lisa Jones and Andreas Bryant. Today we're going to talk about conscious and unconscious biases in the workplace and how diversity matters in more areas than just color and gender. We're going to discuss educational biases, how confidence plays a part in how we respond, mentorship, and what we can do to be allies to those around us. We'll get into my conversation with Lisa and Andreas right after we hear from my friends at ClearRisk.
1: Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com.
0: Lisa Andreas, welcome to The Resilient Journey. It's great to have you. Before we get too far into this, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: So I will go first. Uh, My name is Lisa Jones. I am a business continuity disaster recovery consultant right now for... A company called Talion. I've been in the industry for over 14 years now, working in the business continuity, disaster recovery space, uh, working in healthcare, uh, life science, and now with uh, distribution and manufacturing.
2: Yes, I'm Andreas Bryant Economides. Uh, I have been a resilience or business continuity practitioner for around nine and a half years, with a career spanning over around 15 years. I'm a co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank, which of course Mark and Lisa are also co-founders, along with James Green, um, Melena Maneva, and uh, also Ashley Guzman. So I'm really, really delighted, Mark, that you've invited me onto this. It's really, really exciting, um, and I look forward to it.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and uh, you're right, both of you, to mention um, your role in the resilience think tank, and uh, it's uh, it's fun to work with you on that, and I was really pleased to have you on this as well. So we're continuing our chat on diversity in the resilience world, and today I want to move past kind of trying to establish the need for diversity. I think we've uh, fairly well established that, <clears throat> and I want to move towards thinking practically about how we can actually accomplish something meaningful. So Lisa, you've spoken about increasing the representation of women and black indigenous and people of color in leadership roles. And we know that the BCI has the women in resilience group, but there really isn't anything like that for people of color. So describe a little bit about the need and what you think can be done to establish a, a support system for people of color in our industry.
1: This is a great question, and I don't have all the answers. But what I can say from my experience, um, being sometimes the only woman in the room, as well as the only woman, as well as the only uh, person of color in the room, it's it's always been a challenge for me to uh, bring others aboard or include others in in a. Industry where it's been, and to be honest, <laughs> uh, a male dominated, white man dominated uh, type of industry. Mm-hmm. So, how do you get people that are looking in at people that don't represent themselves um, and don't see any commonality other than looking at, you know, face value? Um, so, for me, it, it's been the challenge of saying, there are other individuals who are interested in this field and me being the kind of or the liaison between the two worlds, I guess, <laughs> is a better way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able or at least tried to truly, um, you know, open my door to anyone and everyone who's interested in getting them to this industry as well as, um, you know, presu- pursuing something that may seem unattainable. I mean, it for me. It, I am the despite of. I say, despite mm-hmm. of all the things that I that you know, I'm not a I'm not a man. I'm not white. Despite of all that, I've been able to grow. But I shouldn't be the only one. I should. I, it should be more opportunities for others to do that. So I've really been very uh, intentional in what I've done. Even now, um, currently, the USA check the president for the USA chapter for the BCI. Um, being the only Black person uh, on the on the whole board, um, or a person of color, and so we we've, we've expanded that. Um, we have now we have two people of color on our board, and we have more women. I think our board is probably the most diverse out of all of them, but that's just me being biased. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you keep being biased. You keep doing what you're doing. One of the things that you know we talk about bringing people into the industry, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so just a quick follow-up uh, for you, Lisa, but it's more than just bringing people into the industry. You talk a lot about uh, promoting women and people of color into leadership roles and things like that. How do we do that? How do we drive that and, and have some influence there?
1: I mean, first, we have to be honest. When we're, when, we're, when we're looking at candidates, uh, looking at people that we're bringing into our organization, we have to make sure that the candidate pool is is equitable among all people who are uh, looking for positions in in our, in our space. So I, so I think about job opportunities and, and how things are written. You know, job, there are job descriptions mm-hmm. that automa- automatically will uh, eliminate a lot of people just by how it's worded. You know, saying you want someone who has a military background or saying, you know, certain words that are buzzwords for non-women. <laughs> Let's be honest, non women, um, or something that will say you need so much experience. Most of us in this room have didn't get in our positions because of our experience. We were kind of put
0: in these positions. So it was why thrust upon us?
1: Yes, it was thrust upon us. So now we're, we want people to have experience, two or three years experience. Well, we already know that. No one's going, coming out of college with two or three years experience of this continuity. There's, there's very few educational uh, opportunities for people to have a, a degree in our industry. So why not take the opportunity to grow someone within our organization? There are so many other people that we could take under our wing and show them the ropes and then ultimately mm-hmm. get them to the places that we need them to be.
0: So let me switch over to Andreas here. I know you're passionate about working in a world that's free of misconceived biases. And I'm going to quote you on something here. You said, regardless of our demographic, we should have the opportunity to demonstrate our abilities on equal levels. So what demographics aren't being given the opportunity to demonstrate their values? And what do you propose that we could do to help move this forward?
2: yeah uh, thanks for asking that. So um, there's a, there's a couple of points echoing Lisa's comments, uh, yeah, firstly, being a woman uh, and also a woman of color. So we, we know that in in a lot of industries, um, it may be underrepresented. Likewise, across areas where perhaps you don't have the right level of experience, which again is something you both just touched on. So if you're coming straight out of college, Uh, you're not necessarily going to be able to demonstrate two or three years worth of experience. And likewise, if you're, say, 30, 40 years old, uh, but you never went to university or you could be 20 years old, even, you, you know, you haven't started college or you haven't gone through university and obtained a degree. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have uh, life skills that can be and experiences that can be demonstrated within this industry. And the reason why I'm passionate about that particular part is also because I come from that that background. So of course, I, I've I've suffered some persecution uh, in my school days, uh, just primarily because I have a a foreign-sounding name in a in you know a, a diverse country, but. You know, my school was represented by white kids, generally. And I, um, I, I would probably identify, identify myself as a, a, as a white male, but I have a Greek sounding name. Of, oh, I'm of Cypriot heritage. And I also, uh, there, there are a number of words that were, were floating around in, in, in my school, which I felt were offensive towards me. I didn't understand them at first. Uh, but I were I, I was called certain names which was reserved for people from Cyprus or from Greece. And what that did is that, that knocked my confidence. Uh, I started to think that I was an alien, you know, I was not welcome within that 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 life. And it made my struggles at school um, extra difficult. It made things really challenging. So there are a number of reasons a number of things that contributed towards me not perhaps obtaining uh, the level of academia that I would have liked to have have achieved. But what I did is I I knuckled down. I, I, I didn't avoid the fact that, you know, I did suffer some persecution. I'm not blaming my lack of academia on that. But of course, all of these things contribute towards it. But I went out there and I got a job uh, and I, I started to work my way up through my throughout my career, just showing a desire to learn. And I think that desire to learn became infectious across people within those businesses. And those and, and I was fortunately afforded the opportunity to progress within those businesses. And then you know, you move on to other to, to, to other firms and, and and you progress likewise within those those areas as well. However, There have been a number of roles that I have looked to apply for where one of the prerequisites were you need to have a degree. And that was, you know, these are in some of the the top firms that that, but I wanted to go in there and I wanted to spread my wings and and show them and demonstrate my value. But unfortunately, I couldn't get my foot in the door because I did not meet that prerequisite. Now, within the resilience industry, I, I cannot really see a role where it is absolutely mandatory for you to have a degree. There are certifications to learn various different disciplines that you can apply within the industry, but I can't see how uh, an academic qualification would put you in better stead than somebody who doesn't, but might have five or 10 years experience. So I felt like my path was, was blocked in some respects, but things are changing. And I've noticed that we, ha- we need to do more But I've noticed that the door appears to be open to a lot more people and we should continue working on that. Lisa had mentioned earlier within the job specifications, and I think you did as well, Mark, that we need to not alienate people by putting in narratives that exclude certain demographics. And one of those demographics, like what we've just mentioned, are those who perhaps don't have a high level of uh, of an academic qualification.
0: If this is for both of you. I'll swing back to Lisa here to start. Let's talk a little bit about unconscious biases. We used the word bias earlier uh, uh, in a good way. We said you're biased intentionally to, to make some progress. But talk about, for both of you, how unconscious biases have affected your professional lives. And then I have something I want to follow up with both of you on. So, uh, Lisa, let's start with you.
1: You know, for me, it's been... Uh, it's been unconscious bias of others as well as the unconscious bias of myself you know when I come into a room particularly when I first started in this industry like I said I was working a lot of IT folks again predominantly men Um, I would come in a room and they would look at me like okay who is this woman (laughs) Uh, they would challenge me challenge me on my experience or any expertise that I had, and and I could I could literally tell as soon as I walked into a room that this was going to happen, and to have to maneuver through stuff like that, it's draining, really. Um, and and then the same, and the and same for me, you know, going into a room again predominantly men and thinking that that was my unconscious bias, thinking that I was going to get challenged. Um, into a room and having men challenge me. Um, there's been plenty of times I've went in a room and I've thought, okay, this is going to be, this is, I can already feel it. It's going to be tough. I'm going to get challenged on certain things. And I go in a room and people are just nice as pie. Some of my biggest allies have been men, white men who have really pushed me to be where I am. So for me to take that, um, not that I, sh- I shouldn't take the stance of myself and being ready to be challenged but i have to also be open to say that not everyone's against me and the same thing when people think of when they see people that are different from them they think already they're different is not a deficiency as they say you know mm-hmm. just because i look different doesn't mean I, I can't think the same as you or we don't have commonalities it's not about um just like you said, because I didn't go to college doesn't mean I'm not smart. <laughs> you know, I it, it. You know, for the industries that we're in, yes, college is important, but we need those soft skills. You need to be able to work with people. I understand the fundamentals of what business kind of, continues is all the best practices and being able to, you know, uh, take those things and run a program. So there's there's a lot that is involved in all that we do, and to be judged on just one thing. Is detrimental for everyone.
2: Andreas, uh, Lisa, uh, I, I completely echo everything that Lisa said. I think unconscious bias can come in uh, come in many forms, both on the on the on the giver and the receiver. Uh, so, you know, I I know myself. I've I've had unconscious bias um, towards others. So, you know, if I if I give an example, if where I've been involved in a recruitment process. And we have had you know a couple of male um, a couple of males were interviewing, a couple of females. I was encouraged to look more towards the males for the particular role that we were recruiting for because of the age groups of the women. and the women were in age groups that i was I was told were typically in the the birth uh, the the birth giving age. Right. So the guy, the guy who I was doing the interviews with, he said, we, we want to move away from from trying to select these women because, you know, within the next few years, they might decide they want to have a baby and therefore go on maternity leave. And then we're going to have to get somebody in to cover them. And and, and that. You know, I, I, was, I, I was educated by this person. Now, I don't know if you can call it education, but this is how he wedded it. But he was educating me. And he said, This is what these are the things we have to think of, which is absolutely wrong because we're just assuming that number one, that that person is going to have a baby in the next few years just by virtue of her, her, her gender. And the second thing is, why does that matter? You know, it. We, we, we this is this is we're human beings. This is what happens. Um, so, you know, if we need to get somebody in to cover for maternity, then so be it. But this person can bring an array of skills that we might only attain by having that person. You know, the other two guys might not have those array of skills. And um, we're not going to know that unless we give people that opportunity. But I, I I took that with me now, fortunately, for the next few years after that, I wasn't involved in a recruitment process because I may have applied that bias towards women. But I had spoken with many people outside of work uh, who put me along the right path and said, "Well, actually, no this you should not be thinking that way and i'm glad I'm glad I was challenged on that front because I started to feel like i was I was becoming misogynistic. Uh, I, I was not really being true to myself. This wasn't, this wasn't me. And I also think that the unconscious bias can turn into a conscious bias, which actually is the case here, because what it is, is I have accepted that, or I had accepted that women of a certain age would be having a baby at that time, and therefore we should not give them the opportunity to work. So therefore, it became my conscious bias, and that is because I was conditioned to think in that way. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that we need to do to undo that conditioning and modernize it. Mm-hmm. And therefore when we talk about unconscious bias, I think yes there are large degrees of unconscious bias, but the unconscious part is the is the bit that I have a concern with because I think a lot of what we believe and what we think based on our social and economic conditioning has turned into conscious bias we are aware of what we are thinking and this is what we believe but we need to now change our mindset and I think this is what is really really important and, and just actually going back to another point that, that Lisa had mentioned because of persecutions in our lifetime sometimes we are brought up to believe that the world is against us and in some respect depending on your demographic. Sometimes that is true. But if we go through life always thinking that somebody is against us, the the universe seems to agree with that. And you are unable to evolve in your mission. You're unable to move forward because you're always thinking that person is against me. As soon as I walk through the door, the way you conduct yourself changes. So although we're in need of change, from those who persecute, also those who have been at the hands of persecution also need to shift that mindset as well. And I know it's easier said than done, but if they shift that mindset not to automatically think the world is against you, you will tend to find that you have more opportunity.
0: Yeah, I think there's two parts to to what you've both just said, and and it fits nicely into my follow-up. I think the first part is... To a degree, your own self confidence goes a long way. Uh, You can look in the mirror and say, Yeah, there are those who I know are either consciously or subconsciously persecuting me. And I know that's a fact. However, this is me. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm not going to tolerate it. I have the confidence to move forward. And that's important, but it only goes so far. I think the second part of that is we have to stand up for each other. And so, Andreas, to your point, if you were to relive that situation today where somebody said, look, we're not going to hire women of childbearing years, it's even hard to say even in this context, Um, you know, it's it's more than fair. It's your responsibility to say, hang on a second, you know, and, and to stand up and to be that ally for others. It's something that needs to be done. So thank you both for that perspective. I want to shift to mentoring. Lisa, I'm going to challenge you. This is a a tough one. If you had the opportunity right now to go into a high school and speak to students about resilience, how would you encourage them to prepare for a career in our industry?
1: Wow. Um, It's interesting that you say that because one thing was I was just looking at an interview yesterday. Um, uh, a news a news show yesterday, and it was talking about um, the Girl Scouts and how the Girl Scouts were invited to. They wanted to learn about uh, being a mechanic, and they found a female mechanic in the area. Which you know, it, and it wasn't necessarily intentional that they found that female mechanic, but the fact that there was a female mecha- mechanic showing Girl Scouts. All these things about a car and the girl in the in the video said, I didn't know that I never thought of females being a a mechanic as a female, as a girl. Um, So just that alone is something that we all all of us need to do as far as breaking down these gender based uh, type of, uh, of roles that we have in, in professions. You know, we. I had this conversation with my husband because we have two girls and it's like, can yeah. you see a, a woman coaching a football team? We're talking American football team. and Or <laughs> can you see a, a woman coaching a, a male uh, basketball team? And we have these conversations all the time. It's like, and why not? Why can't we see this? Um, so going back, let's go back to what you just asked me about Taking this to a high school and, and introducing people to this industry, you just have to do it. Whether I sell, I tell them, you know, I can I can sell it the best way that I can. I can all if, first of all, if they look at me and say, well, "What is this profession, you send. I have no idea. What is business continuity? And you take it same way I would do it in, in an organization. Make it personal to say that if something was to happen to your home. How would you survive? What are some of the things you need to do to think about, you know, for your family? How would you take care of your family? And how, where would you, you you would need to stay and all those different things and say, this is a, this is, a, this is an, the things that you're doing that you would produce to protect your family or plan for your family. This is, a, this is an actual profession that you can do for organizations. We're planning for the worst. Um, I have uh, one of my colleagues who, who's actually um, who's actually on the board of BCI um, for the USA chapter. She got interested in emergency management because of a movie. She saw a movie. Uh, I can't think of it's on the top of my head, but the movie Will Smith. Um, when the world was, came to an end and he would only go out uh, during yeah. the day and he would pour bleach on his steps. Well, because of that, that opened her mind to... This industry that she had no idea existed, and she, I don't know how she put two and two together, but I would never have thought of it. But it that is that is the prime that is an example of business continuity. So we need to put we need to uh, take it to a level where people can truly understand it first. We have to understand it for ourselves, but take it to a, a level where you can understand it and it, present it to a high school student to say guess what, here's this thing, you may not have thought about it, but now that you see it, here's options and how you can get involved.
0: Very good. So Andreas, when it comes to mentoring people that are already in the industry, tell me how important you think it is to mentor the soft skills too, uh, in order to allow people to navigate through these biases.
2: Sure. So I think it's really, really important to have, uh, to have allies um, both within your organization and also within the industry as a whole. Now, there are many groups uh, that uh, practitioners within the resilience industry can sign up to. Um, most obviously result in a cost. Let's not deny that. But it is very, very useful to be part of these groups. Um, but likewise, even with you know, various thought leadership groups and think tanks that you can find on LinkedIn and just on the Internet in general, when you're part of something where people can share experiences of of uh, of things that have happened within their organisation that they were uh, they were able to overcome, you, you may not have somebody to speak to. Uh, there may be a number of us that operate in silo, so we are teams of one. We might not necessarily have multiple people that we can speak to within an organisation, yet our organisation looks at us up to us as experts. We may not have all of the answers. So this is why it's key to be part of a group. And if you are able to get somebody who's perhaps has been in the industry for a while to mentor you, and likewise, this message goes out to those who've been in the industry for a while, you know, let's have somebody that you can mentor, somebody that you can try and help them navigate their way throughout their careers, and help them overcome certain blocks that they may have experienced with their organization I think that is is a key point and that's a that's a message we want to drive throughout the industry let's be there for one another I know that sounds quite that can sound quite cringy and corny in some respect Mm -hmm. Um, but be there for each other to help guide them through areas that that they are stuck in areas that they are unsure on how they are able to get past and really we need to lean on you know a lot of experienced people within this industry, and we need to lean on them for, for for guidance in that respect.
0: That's one of the things I'm most proud of about the Resilience Think Tank is our commitment to diversity and, and being allies for people, and I think it's uh, super important. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. Andreas, Lisa, how can we get in touch with
2: you?
1: You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Lisa Jones. Feel free to uh, connect with me there. i always looking to help
2: uh, likewise, uh, you can just search me on LinkedIn also, uh, Andreas Bryant. Um, I do have a longer surname, Andreas Bryant Conomedes, but uh, we can talk about that at another time. But I just have it listed as Andreas Bryant. So that's how you find me.
0: Perfect. And I'll put links to that in the show notes. Thank you both. This was a really interesting conversation. One of those ones that probably could have gone on for uh, you know much longer, but uh, I appreciate you both. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Mark.
0: Big thanks to Lisa Jones and Andreas Bryant from the Resilience Think Tank for joining me on the resilient journey. Hey, we wouldn't be here without you, our listeners, so thank you for listening, and please follow us and keep listening. A huge shout out to Clear Risk for sponsoring our podcast. Next week, we begin a special two part episode with Luke Bird, and we're going to speak about mental health in the resilience world, and I'll give you a sneak peek into Luke's soon to be released, deeply personal article where he shares his struggles with mental health. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.